making her mad. It is happy Halloween, everybody! You guys, it's obviously Monday because Author Talk is on. So you guys know me, Amy, here with Fern Russell, and our lovely guest today is George. And you guys, we hope that you guys are going to have a fantastic Halloween. My girls are at school currently, and they are the Powerpuff Girls in their little tutus and their outfits. I will post photos later because I have to also dress up the whole shebang, okay? We have the white tights and everything for my kids, so they're super excited, so they are there at the moment. But we wish all of you guys a happy and safe Halloween. So what did you guys do this weekend? I built or made Halloween costumes, obviously, and we cleaned out my garage and getting ready. Josh is going to go on a camping trip this coming weekend or next weekend, and so we're just getting everything ready. And Russell... He has talked me into doing a practice backpacking trip on like the week of the week of Thanksgiving, a two day. Congratulations. Practice. Yeah, I know. So we'll see how this goes. We'll see how this goes. But how was everybody else's weekend? That was great. Well, yeah. I am stranded out in a car because I'm locked out of where I'm supposed to do this with George. <laughs> And every time I tried to arrange to do something with George, who, by the way, for our listeners, George in Atlanta is kind of a big deal. He runs stuff. He has events all the time. Uh, it, and he's an incredibly nice guy. But every time I try to set something up with George, I get locked out of places. I'm locked out of where I'm supposed to do the show. If I disappear no. and reappear, it's because the guy shows up. That's my weekend. And show the picture of my granddaughters. It's the first Halloween picture. Strawberries oh, and shortcake. I love it. That is the cutest thing ever. Oh, I love them. <laughs> I love that is adorable. That, that's such a cute one. I love it. I love it. Fern, what about you? Right. Good morning, Greg. I do not dress up my daughter because she is a husky and she doesn't really care for uh, doggy outfits, you know, so I don't even bother with that. But no, this past weekend actually was, um, I'm trying very desperately to finish book two revision draft to send to my editor today, because today technically is the due date. Okay. And <laughs> that's probably not going to happen because <laughs> yes, we have that's to hit our due time with us. <laughs> well, well, that and plus I got to go teach a class that, that I teach every afternoon and just, you know, is it's probably not going to happen, but it, it needs to happen by the end of this week so that I can move forward to NaNoWriMo because that starts technically at midnight today. So, yes, I'm going to start NaNoWriMo late, but, but I need to finish this book because I need him to have it and review it. And yeah, What's I just need to get it book? off my plate. What's the name? Gordon Offensive. This is the Gordon Offensive. This is book two from the United Vidden uh, series. That, that was the one that's out right now. It's book one, United Vidden. It takes place on planet Jorn, right? Um, okay. Science, fantasy, um, epic soap opera, you know, space opera. Yeah. yeah love The it. whole thing. And, and I'm, I'm having to integrate Air Force because, you know, I kind of forgot that you know, these people have spaceships and so they clearly would have airplanes and, you know, in the middle of a war, they might, they might want to use them, you know? Right. So. Makes sense to me. It makes sense to me. 
I know, but you know what was funny? I had this conversation with a friend of mine last night and she's like, why don't you just say, Fern, that they stopped using them um, because they thought it was outdated since they had just the spaceships and now they're like wishing that they had them. And then that saves you the trouble of having to build it in. And I was like, ooh. <laughs> I don't I don't think that will fly with my editor, but I might try it just to see what happens. You know? Yeah, yeah, you like it? You like it? Russell, you I'm made like, it. I did. The George Jinx is maybe overcome. Yay! <laughs> I love it. So, George, what did you do this weekend? Well, I'm... Uh just on the cusp of our 27th Atlanta Writers Conference. And I've run all 27 of them. And uh, so it's, this is crazy time for me. I'm, uh, you know, I'm following up with people on their schedules. I'm having to change schedules as people's plans change, uh, doing all of that. So right. uh, this is always a fun, interesting time of year for me. I, I do two of these a year. Um, in the in the fall and in the spring so and i'm already planning uh for the uh may 2023 atlanta writers conference our and the one in the spring was a huge success yeah I went to it. it was a huge success thank you um and uh we're, we're actually doing two in the spring now we do the traditional publishing conference uh where i bring in literary agents and acquisitions editors and uh, a self-publishing conference to help people who are indie authors uh get farther in their their goals and aspirations for their books yeah we did that too here with the houston writers guild we uh started hosting indie palooza yeah. because it's such an important part too it is really it is honor those those authors you know they they really are entrepreneurs who have to do everything you know it's it's mm -hmm. like starting a small business um and i think a lot of writers don't realize that when they're going in um mm -hmm. they just think well i'm gonna you know publish my own books and keep keep all the money and that's all there is to it mm -hmm. nope no. <laughs> there's a whole lot more <laughs> It gets very complicated very fast, but I think I think having the as an organization, and I'm so happy to hear that you guys are doing it as well. Having a conference just for them that's geared specifically towards okay, how are you a small business, yeah. and not just in terms of small businesses in general, but specifically for our industry, what does that look like? Yeah. Because there are significant differences in in terms of you know because I've I've been to many you know small business expos that the Small Business Administration hosts and stuff. And they're useful, there's useful stuff, but it's nice to have something more targeted for our authors. Absolutely, yeah, I, I agree 100%. So, so uh, George, yeah. how would people that we have, uh, we're like, to our surprise, top 10 independent book podcast in America. We've gotten that notice, we were really shocked. Most people listen to us, they don't watch this on Mondays. Mm -hmm. And so for those people listening, that, well, no, they're not. Well, but we if you want to post, if you'll send us a picture, we'll post it on our Facebook page, okay. Author Talk Facebook page that listeners can join and then see your beautiful hat. <laughs> but how would they, if they want to come to one of your conferences, how do they reach out? to on one of those conferences and Fern, will you tell us the listeners how they would reach out 
for one of the Houston conferences if they'd rather go there. Oh, sure. sure, you start. I'll let, oh, um, well, you know, the HoustonWritersGuild.org is our website, um, and you can find all of our information on our programming there, primarily on our Writers Room page. We have all our workshops and everything on there, and you can also find us on Eventbrite. Um, we, we usually do all of our ticket sales through Eventbrite, so you can find just the Houston Writers Guild. No apostrophe, even though technically that is a grammatical error. Um, that is our name. That is our official name. I did not make it up. You know, I inherited it. And I've had some very interesting conversations with with um, other organizations, you know, about like, well, shouldn't there be an apostrophe? Yes, grammatically, that it would be correct. But this is our name. Okay, so just Writers Guild, HoustonWritersGuild.org. Um, you can get all our programming on there. George, how about y'all? Yeah. Let's see, for the Atlanta Writers Conference, that's the the traditional one with the agents and the editors, if you're uh, if you're looking to get published traditionally, that is simply atlantawritersconference.com, uh, atlantawritersconference.com. And then for the self-publishing conference, it's atlantaselfpublishingconference.com. Easy peasy. And if you want more information about the Atlanta Writers Club, it's atlantawritersclub.org. And uh, here's what I tell people about the whole apostrophe thing. It's a club of writers uh that it's not the the writers don't own the club it's a club mm. for of writers so atlanta yeah. writers club no apostrophe is absolutely correct i'm totally stealing see, that from see, Bern, see why i love george so much now yeah i'm stealing he's that he's so that. pleasant yeah that's it's perfect this is a question of ownership right this is a guild of writers right not yes. the the not owned by the writer i love yeah. that what a great way to to uh, you know, deal with those you know uh, grammar Nazis. Yeah, that's how yeah. I like to call them. You know, My Halloween gift to you. <laughs> perfect. It's perfect. I love it. Right. I've already paid my own so, way. Okay. <laughs> so what are you? So what did you do this weekend, George? Oh gosh, it's nothing but conference stuff for me. Um, so our work. next conference is November fourth and fifth, and uh, so so. This is oh, you're you're on the real edge stress of it, time yeah. for me. Yeah, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I got this big smile on my face, but inside it's like, oh my god, there's so much left to do. Mm -hmm. I get how you feel. I think we all understand how, how you feel. Burn yeah. with the Houston Writers Guild, and then I have a 12 day summit, and so I'm right there with you with the fact of you know you think you have the schedule set, and then it's not set, and you have to move things, and you got to make you find a way to make it work, right? Yeah, the yeah. stress of it all, which is I don't know. For me, it's I thrive in that environment. I don't know why, but I do. So, but yeah, I always miss it when it's over. Don't you? Right, I get you know I get it. I mean, I relax for a little bit afterwards, and I'm like, all right, we're gonna do this again, you know. Yeah. But halfway through it, I'm like, I'm never doing this again ever. No, which I remember you saying last year that you would never do it again, and I was shocked when you like totally changed that. Hey, because so she was like, had she fun. had it. <laughs> so many now, people I think, had fun. <laughs> so I think we all feel that way when we when we're putting together an event like this, you know, we all feel that way. Like, Oh, I'll never do this again. Oh my God. What did I do to myself? Right. But at the end of the day, it's such a, a blessing, not just for the other people who come, but for us ourselves too. I mean, the, the connections we make and, and just the good, 
it feels good. I don't know about you, George, but I enjoy knowing that you're bringing value to your community and that we're building something together, you know, because our profession is one where you can actually, yes, really coordinate together and nobody, you know, nobody's going to lose sales from it. On the contrary, everybody's going to benefit, you know, so I really enjoy that feeling of our community. Absolutely. I think we're the rising tide that floats all boats. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And this is a, a this is a labor of love, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Nobody's getting rich off of this. We're you know we're doing this because we love other <laughs> writers. I don't know about y'all, but all my best friends are writers. You know, everybody mm-hmm. you know who's really important in my life, with very minor exceptions. You know, a few other hobbies I do on the side. Everybody is you know involved. You know, with with my writing life. Um, mm. you know, my my mm. wife is uh, a writer I met because I started critique groups, you know, two decades mm-hmm. ago, and nice. uh, you know, so yeah. I doubt you're a pretty uh, rough critique in the critique group on your own wife because that would just be like ridiculously oh. <laughs> stupid. Oh, I was, I was I was brutal, you know, when she joined the the group. I had no idea. Did you ever throw group. papers at her? Because no. that's the one thing Russell. Because Fern really throws papers at me. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if it was at you. It was just near you. No, she threw stuff at me. She's no, a thrower. No, no, no. Do you have, were you ever a thrower in your critique group, George? No, you're you're always supposed to critique the work and not the person. So if I threw a piece of paper, yeah. I would be yeah, thrown at the friend. work. <laughs> no, I critique the work. I just threw the papers down because the work was not getting, you know, up to par where I thought it needed to be. Someone wasn't <laughs> listening. They, they weren't listening. <laughs> we were so let's change the subject. I want to talk about about George's cover cover picture, not not for yes. throwing paper at me and abusing her good friend. Mm, I love you, Russell. <laughs> oh, George, George, talk to us about your book um, that's coming out. What? What? Um, this is a sequel, right? This is a sequel is. to another book. And it these is. cover True. pictures that you have. Yeah, I don't. I want to talk you, about those too. Yeah, I don't know if you have cover images loaded up, but uh, uh, I can share them later if you don't. But uh, the book that just came out uh, is called "Return to Hard Scrabble Road." And it's a sequel to a book that came out a decade ago called Hard Scrabble Road. And uh, so clever me, I fit it. I fit the you know title in the sequel too because I'm no fool. There you go. So there's the there's the sequel cover. Um, and on the cover of the original, the first book in the series, Hard Scrabble Road, uh, it has these three boys, but as as young, little boys. Uh, so the oh character that you see uh to your far right the the smallest one he is the uh the point of view character everything's told through his eyes uh, his name is uh roger bud mcleod and uh on the original cover he's six years old and here he's uh mid-teens and uh then the middle brother is in the middle and uh the oldest brother is uh at the opposite end um and you see them again as little kids on the the cover of Hard Scrabble Road, and uh, this continues their adventures exactly where the first book leaves off. So, the uh, uh, it, it it could really just be another chapter in Hard Scrabble Road, um, and this could be a, a saga rather than uh, a two book series. It could be just one long ass single book. 
so they, you know, uh, so the backstory of all this is why those kids on the cover, you know, why this story is uh, in 1991, um, when uh, my first wife uh, and I went to visit her folks in Alabama, I was introduced to uh, her dad, who was the best storyteller God's ever put on this earth. Um, it was a very natural thing for him to do. Nothing felt self-conscious or staged. It's just, it's what he did. It's how he related to life was whatever was going on, you know, in current events or with the family and all, he could relate to something that happened to him or his family growing up in Southwest Georgia in the 1930s and 1940s. Uh, and it's just what he would do quite naturally, you know, at the end of, uh, it was a proper Southern household. So there was no lunch. It was dinner at noon and then supper in the evening. Uh, the word lunch was never spoken. And so, uh, you know, he'd push back from the dinner or supper table, which was the same table, but called different things at different times today and just start spinning stories from his, uh, his growing up days. And they were fascinating to me because I grew up really privileged, middle-class suburban kid in the 1960s and seventies and into the eighties. And, uh, you know, if I wanted something to eat, there was always food to eat. If, you know, I wanted, you know, an Atari 2600 for Christmas. There was an Atari 2600 for Christmas. My dad would spend all day trying to hunt down space invaders for me. Um, so I, you know, I had it all. And I'm listening to these stories of having nothing. And, uh, and worse than having nothing was having a sociopath for a father and a mother who had no interest in raising her children. Um, so he and his older brothers and older sister pretty much had to raise each other during the great depression, uh, and the war years. And, uh, it was tough going as you can imagine. So hard scrabble road, uh, is a physical road, uh, outside of Colquitt in these books, but it's also a really good metaphor for their journey through childhood. Uh, it was a very hard scrabble growing up and I was just fascinated by, these stories because they could not have been more different from the life I had led when, you know, I was his age in those stories. Uh, you know, uh, six decades later or whatever, uh, you know, well, uh, four, five, six decades later, they, they couldn't have been fascinating that, you know, I'm, I find it fascinating that this book was born from conversations. Yeah, it was. Um, um, yeah. And, 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 yeah. Oral history. Um, so I became very intentional after the very first story I heard him tell of writing down in exactly, I'm a, uh, uh, I, I rely a lot on audio for, for learning. So, you know, I could write down pretty much exactly as he told it, the same words he used, I would write down his stories and uh, collected these for an entire decade. Uh, I had binders full of them and decided after, you know, a decade that, you know, this could be a novel and should be a novel. Uh, and so I approached him. I said, look, I don't want to write your biography. Um, right. 
I, you know, I want to write a story that is inspired by the stories that I've collected over the last decade from you and your two older brothers when they would come to visit. I did the same thing with them. I, you know, go write down their stories too. Uh, I, you know, I would really like to write a novel, but I need all of your sense memories. So what you haven't, you've told a lot of stories, mm-hmm. but what you haven't talked about with the way things smelled and felt and tasted and all that stuff, the, the things that really Ooh. make um, a novel jump off the page, you know, in a reader's mm-hmm. mind. Um, and so I would like to interview you intentionally, um, you know, about those things. Put me on a school bus in 1938 in, you know, outside of Colquitt, Georgia. What was that like? And he said, who would care? I can hear him now. It was just nothing but disdain. He said, who would care? I was one of a million poor Southern kids who escaped into the military, you know, and that was that, you know, my story was just like a million others. Nobody would care. Don't waste your time. And uh, he totally resisted this. Uh, So this is, you know, if you're doing the hero's journey, this is refusing the call, right? So he refused the call. Uh, And so, you know, I had to, I I really wanted to do this project, um, but I needed his help because I didn't live back then. I didn't live in those circumstances. I really needed primary source information that I couldn't get anywhere. You you won't find that kind of stuff in a book. So Mm -hmm. um, my project's done without him. So I thought back to one of the stories he told. And um, this is, you know, the manipulative part of being a writer. And we all know this, right? We're all among friends here. We manipulate the hell out of people when we're trying to get something out of them uh, for a writing Uh project. So this was my manipulation. So I remember back to a story. Uh, His his daddy, besides being an absolute psychopath, was a bootlegging middleman uh, in Southwest Georgia. So he would drive to Florida with one of his children as a human shield in the car because he knew that the revenuers wouldn't shoot at his his pickup truck uh, if there was a child in the front seat. So he always had one of his three boys riding with him when he went down to Florida to wow. pick up the moonshine as a human shield. Uh, and he and there were a couple of black men who uh, sharecropped on the same property. Parent, parent of the Year award there. Parent yeah. of the Year award. Oh, yeah. He, oh, he was a prince. <laughs> prince among men. And so he'd always have one of the, the black men who sharecropped on the same property come with him, too, to, you know, as muscle to help him haul all the uh, 50... 50 pound casks of uh, bootleg whiskey. So we drive down to Florida with one of these kids and there was a sheriff in the county where these bootleggers uh, made their shine. And he, Papa paid this guy money, you know, uh, hand over fist, but also as an additional bribe, he named my former father-in-law after that sheriff as an additional bribe. So, of course, as you can imagine, uh, my former father-in-law did not appreciate being named after, you know, this this corrupt sheriff, you know, as a as a bride. Um, So he you know, he talked about that in one of the stories and how he never liked his name. Uh, And I said, well, you get to name this character in the novel. What's going to be? And he said, I love it. You know, I've always liked the name Roger. I said, that's it. 
He said, he's going to be named Roger in the novel. And it was like flipping a switch. All of a sudden, he was really interested. He said, really? I said, yep. You've named the character. He's going to be named Roger. Let's start talking. He said, well, okay. And that's all it took. And by the end of the interviewing, you know, and, and now it was, you know, months and years of, of additional interviewing whenever we went to Alabama to visit. By the end of that, he had written his own memoirs where he oh, wow. put down all of his stories um, as a keepsake for his, his three kids. So it started out with him refusing the call you know, and saying who would care. And by the end, he was actually writing down his stories and stories that none of them had ever heard before. And I had never heard before were, you know, all contained in this memoir that he had left them. So I thought that and was what a powerful cool. thing, because, you know, you see that you see this a lot and, and, you know, you kind of begin to feel it that we're losing history because mm -hmm. when, when this generation you know, begins to move on to transcend, you know, you're, you're all of that knowledge, all of the things that they lived through are gone. And, yep. um, and so what a powerful thing that you were able to motivate him to actually yeah. put it down on paper for him, yeah. for his family. How cool is that? You know, to me, that's the best thing that happened from this project. Um, even more than getting a book out of it, now a second book out of it the fact that I inspired him so much to put down those stories so that his kids will have them forever. And then his grandkids will have them, you know, and it'll get those binders get passed down, you know, for, oh. through the generations. So, uh, so you wrote this, this, the first book a while ago. Oh, long right? time ago, 20 years ago. And yeah. then, and then you went on to other projects. What yeah. made you return? Like the title says, what made you return to it? Well, um, so the first book, you know, I had a, I had a literary agent at the time. Uh, I had written a novel to learn how to write a novel because I didn't want to learn how to write a novel using his story. So I wrote a novel uh, that went through, God, two dozen drafts and all called The Five Destinies of Carlos Moreno, which is set in, in Houston and in Galveston uh, about uh, forgotten U.S. history. So if you don't mind a little uh, a segue. Um, so between 1928 and 1941, the government deported over 2 million people of Mexican heritage, and half of them were American citizens, maybe more than half. Wow. Um, and this started with the Hoover administration, and then FDR did it all throughout the 1930s and into the 40s, and only stopped because the Japanese bombed Pearl Harbor and uh, we were embroiled in World War II, and all of a sudden it seemed like a good idea to have immigrant labor and, uh, huh. you know, people, uh, people yeah. work in the railroad tracks and, you know, laying railroad tracks and farms and factories and all that. But these people weren't immigrants who they were deporting <laughs> half of them. Anyways, they had been in the country sometimes six, eight, 10 generations before there was a United mm -hmm. States that had been here. Right. The and, United States uh, came to them. Yes, exactly. <laughs> they didn't go uh, to it. Right. But if you were, if you were Brown and you looked poor, they would stop you on the streets and the local law enforcement could do it. And INS could do it um, and say, prove you're a citizen. Uh, and you would have to have a birth certificate in your pocket to do that. And you wouldn't because why would you? And uh, so they would put you on a truck, drive you to the border. 
uh, in Texas and California um, and the other border states. And uh, they would have this little kangaroo court where they'd find you guilty for being in the country illegally. And they put you on what they called a repatriation train and send you with thousands of others to the south end of Mexico and kick you out in places like Oaxaca. And now you're 3,000 miles from the border. And, uh, and it's possible that you did not speak any Spanish. You certainly didn't know Mexican culture because you would, you, you were an American through and through. You were. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that then the, the real irony, the real horribleness is, you know, so people, this families were separated. Children walking home from school were snatched up. Mothers walking to the market, fathers going to a factory job you know, they would just disappear and end up in the South end of Mexico. Their family had no idea what happened to them. Uh, but the real horribleness, uh, the terrible irony is uh, that when World War II started, draft notices started going out. And guess who got draft notices? <laughs> the people the who people, were no longer in the country? <laughs> that's right. The people we had kicked out a decade before then got mm-hmm. draft notices because they were American citizens. They were on the books somewhere because they were able to get them draft notices. And uh, and the post office used to be so good, they were able to find them in the south end of Mexico, get them their draft notice. And uh, so now they at last had proof that they were citizens because I've been ordered to report to the draft board so I can fight for the country that kicked me out a decade ago. You know, George, that's wow. ironic. Yeah. That's ironic. My father had uh, was in the South Pacific War yep. and he had two buddies that the three of them were inseparable during the many battles until they were separated for other things. And one was uh, someone in that situation that uh, was inducted by the draft board in El Paso. And he was one of my uh, dad's two buddies that they protected each other's back during you know, the invasion of Saipan and Iwo Jima and uh, Okinawa. So that's ironic. I think think it's a part of my family history. You know, it's interesting to note that the United States has really not changed. Um, We still doing the same things, you know, and still having the same like anti-immigrant thing that has been here since the beginning, really. And it's and it's ridiculous. You know, I think Mark Mark Twain said history doesn't repeat itself, but it rhymes. It sure does. It's like. <laughs> yeah. um, so anyway, that so that so was that was, that was my first novel. I got an agent with that novel and that proved to me that, OK, I must have some, you know, a little bit of talent. And then I wrote Hard Scrabble Road uh, because, again, I didn't want to learn how to write a book. Uh, I, I wanted to get his. And you know, I'm you just going to jump in here and, and talk yeah. a little bit about what you just said about, you know, that 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 getting that literary agent sort of made you feel like, yes, okay, I must have it. And I, you know, so many authors feel like, like unless someone sort of does like Anoints a blessing, you. right. Yes. Anoints you that's right. um, that you're not. And, and that's one thing that we need to sort of do away with in our community, because Absolutely. you are a writer, you're an author. If you have a story to tell, Nobody needs to anoint you. Nobody has to say. And so many times, and I've seen people, you know, because I own Inklings Publishing. So we get submissions and we have to reject them because we can't take everybody. And um, so many times they feel like, oh, you know, it must not have been good. But it's not about whether or not it was good. It's just about whether or not the budget is there or, you know, does it fit where the direction the company is going right now? 
Did and you just publish to, something like it? Yeah. yeah. So, so we really need to do away with this idea that, you know, acceptance by, you know, some other gatekeeper or some, you know, publishing house or whatever is the, the thing to seek. You, you are a writer if your writing is in your heart, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And, and it, I think it speaks to the underconfidence of lots of writers that we're looking for that outside approval. So, uh, mm. and I certainly was back then because, you know, I, uh, I, I didn't know anybody in the writing community. I didn't know another writer, you know, and that's why I joined right. the Atlanta Writers Club because I didn't know any other writers, you know, and I needed to get part of a community. So, uh, so I wrote Hard Scrabble, sent that to the agent, wrote a third book, sent that to the agent. She didn't sell any of them. Um, I finally uh, fired her after I got my own paying gig writing a, a children's adventure book for a, a, a little nonprofit here in Georgia. And uh, then I just focused on helping other writers. And my former father-in-law never asked about our project. Uh, to him, the fact that the book was never published just reinforced his original feeling that who would care? Well, nobody would yeah. care. Uh, nobody did care. And it wasn't until 2012 that I found a small publisher um, and uh, Hard Scrabble came out and uh, uh, and it's been, you know, it's not like it sold 10,000 copies, you know, its first month. It's been a very slow ramp up, but it's sold at least 40,000 copies now. And uh, so a decade later, well, it was time for the sequel to come out. And uh, uh, and and it was uh, it was a sequel I really struggled with because um, by by then um, I was I was divorced from my first wife, you know, whose father, you know, was the one I was writing was about. Divorced. He was mm -hmm. gone. Um, his older brothers and older sister were gone. They're all dead. Um, and uh, there was a part of me that felt like it wasn't my story to continue to write about. But then I realized, well, dummy, I'm writing a novel, you know, I'm, mm -hmm. I'm not writing their biographies. Uh, that would absolutely be true if I were, you know, writing part two of their biographies, but I wasn't. I was writing about characters who I invented. Um, I was, you know, some things were inspired by their stories, but uh, there's a whole lot there that, you know, was just stuff I, you know, created wholesale out of my imagination. So I gave myself permission to work on the, the second novel. And, uh, and I called it Return to Hardscrabble Road because, well, for marketing purposes, that made a whole mm -hmm. lot more sense than something else. Um, yeah. Although uh, a friend of mine uh, uh, who uh, uses the pen name Dusty Roberts gave me a, a much better title, and I wish I could have used it. It was Scrabble Harder. <laughs> oh, that's that's a great title. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so I'll just use that. No, one but with the books being so separate in years, it, it makes sense to do the return to yeah, Hardscrabble yeah, Road. Ab sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and people had been asking me, you know, since the first one came out, when when will there be a sequel? Because, you know, the way I wrote the ending, it did kind of beg for a sequel. Uh, and I just struggled with the idea of sequels because I wanted to write what I wanted to write. Um, you know, none of my books until now are similar in any way. Um, they're all they're all different. They're different genres. I've written amateur sleuth murder mystery. I've written kidnapping thriller with a 
dude in distress instead of the usual damsel in distress and the damsel's trying to ride to his rescue um that's called watch what you say the amateur sleuth murder mysteries called aftermath if anybody's interested you can go to atlanta you can go to uh georgeweinstein.com if you are interested uh but you know i was writing in different genres each time and just doing what i wanted to do um so this is the first time i had to kind of force myself to write the same genre you know about the same characters and uh and i had to kind of learn how to write a sequel uh since yeah. I had never written one before. George, what people, genre do you what is hard scrabble? What is uh, it's genre? it's and um, the large the large mm -hmm. focus is historical fiction. And then I always mm -hmm. call it southern historical fiction since mm -hmm. it's very southern. That's you know, the characters speak in dialect, um very southwest Georgia specific dialect. Um you know, there, my uh, uh, wife grew up in uh, Douglasville and, uh, you know, she's reading Return to Hard Scrabble Road and saying, I don't know that expression before. I, you know, we say it differently, you know, in Northwest Georgia than the way they do in Southwest Georgia. So it's very, uh, very specific to the area, uh, the way. The How did you are. get the dialect right? Oh, that was just interviewing. Uh, my former father-in-law and his older brothers, uh, whenever they showed up, you know, for 10 years. And then, and then after that, more intentionally, you know, when I was trying to get the sense memories from him and stuff, the longer he would talk, the more he would lapse into, into the dialect mm. of his youth. You know, the more he went back in time in his mind, his speech kind of followed. Um, so I, know, got, and I just want to hop in here and say, you know, it's really what a wonderful and powerful thing to have you know, readers say, hey, I want to continue this story. I want to know yeah. more about these characters. Because, you know, in theory, all of our books should leave readers wanting that, right? Readers should get a sense that these characters' lives keep going. We just don't get a window into it. And so what a wonderful thing to have readers come and say, hey, uh, you need to write some more about these people because I want to know what happens next. And that's a right. really great thing to have happen as yeah. a writer. You know, so that's the approbation we all need. We don't need to be anointed by somebody in the publishing industry uh -huh. or by another writer. Uh -huh. What we need is that feedback from readers because yeah. that's what it's all about, right? Um, yeah. You know, if, yeah. if you're not getting positive feedback from readers, that's that's when it really hurts. Um, and and just a trigger warning, I have, you know, one-star reviews for Hardscrabble. Uh Interestingly, it's almost always because of the language. Um, cool. And it's because Papa used the GD word all the time. He named the rooster that GD rooster. That was the name of the rooster on the farm, you know? <laughs> so uh, there's a lot of bad language in this book. And it's very interesting to me that the people- But it's organic it, to the book, is it? Oh yeah, it's, you know, he is speaking the way he spoke. Uh, and uh, so the first person I interviewed uh, to do the audible version, the audiobook version, said, I'm offended by the language. Can I change all of these GDs and other things to, you know, language I'm more comfortable with? I said, no, you don't get the job. Go away. And, yeah, you know, no, found somebody no. who wanted to read it's the perfect book. Answer. Perfect answer. Perfect But here's, to me, it's just ridiculous because it's historic. Yeah. How are we Absolutely. going to get to understand the culture and the history that that these people lived through yeah. if you are going to, you know, impose our 
you know, current standard or whatever on oh, it. Yeah. And, and I just, and just I feel that's just so silly. Delicate yeah. sensibilities. No, this is the way yeah. he talked, yeah. and so this is the mm-hmm. way he needs to talk on the audible. Yeah, and if but, you don't, uh, if you don't like those kinds of books, just don't read them. Right, exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, and actually, uh, so it's interesting. So I got these one-star reviews, and they all complain about the language. Oh, I couldn't get past the second page because of the language and all. And uh, there is no mention at all in these reviews about Papa beating the holy crap out of these children, you know, for over the, you know, the least little perceived wrong uh, or just because, you know, Papa was in a bad mood. Nobody complains about all the child abuse that happens. They all complain about the language. And I find that very telling. So you had no problem at all with the violence against these children, but you had a problem with a swear word. What does that say about you? reader dear reader not about my book um i I do want to take a quick moment because one of the things i saw on your website is that you're involved with the tiger flight foundation yeah that was that adventure story that i wrote for children yeah yeah talk a little bit about the tiger flight foundation what is that all about because i mean i found it really cool yeah so um so that was that was the book that caused me to fire my agent because i finally made money as a writer without any help from her um and they're a group of pilots, uh, almost all former military pilots and some, a few uh, former commercial pilots who do leadership talks for kids. Um, and they wanted a book as kind of a leave behind uh, that was geared toward middle grade boys because uh, it's really hard to get that age group and, and boys especially to read. And so they want an adventure story that kind of subliminally nested in their leadership ideas about uh, becoming what they call pilot in command of your life. So flying your life with the intentionality and the seriousness with which you would fly an airplane. And uh, so they hired me because I was uh, president of the Atlanta Writers Club and uh, uh, knew about me through the guy who was president-elect of the writer's club and he was friends of one of the pilots. And so we collaborated on, uh, on this book and, uh, and it, uh, it's a book they still sell at their hangar in Rome, Georgia. Um, they, uh, they still do lots of, uh, lots of these leadership talks for Cub Scout groups and Eagle Scouts and Girl Scouts and stuff. And, uh, it's just really, you know, a nice little, segue, you know, my writing career, you know, into something totally different. Um, I don't think I'll, I'll write for kids again. Um, but who knows? I never say never. I said, I said, I'd never write a sequel. And here we are talking about. Re- and Return there you go. That's right. So maybe I will you never but, know uh, where the journey is going to take you. Yeah. But they're just a great group of folks. And, uh, you know, and all they want is to reach kids who were a lot like me when I was growing up, just kind of drifting through life and, you know, needing some direction, needing uh, kind of a blueprint. Um, and so that's, you know, that's what they do. And that's what I tried to do in the book is tell a a fun adventure story, but at the same time, slip in some some leadership ideas. I love it. George, you have done so much stuff and have written, and I love the the story behind why you wrote, you know, your book and the return of it and everything. And I think that that is truly inspirational and 
I don't know. I find it inspiring. Now, I am the one on this call. I am not a writer. Everybody knows that. I just work with writers. But all of my best friends are writers because they're right. right here on this call. So I go. very much can relate to that 100%. But we are coming close on time, and so we do yeah. have to end. But, George, you are welcome back any anytime to come and talk with us. You can talk about the Atlanta Writers Guild, anything like that. You're more books that I'm sure you're going to write. You're more than welcome to come. But let's do last minute comments, questions, statements. Russell, I'm going to kick it to you. You didn't speak a whole lot today. Well, you know, George has such a good story. It's, you don't want to interrupt his story because they're flowing. And so uh, sometimes when we have boring guests, I talk a lot. But today, George had good flowing, nice stories. It was a good way to start our Halloween and start our week. George, one more time, yep. tell people where to find you, where to find your books. Sure, sure. Uh, so my website, again, is just my first name and last name, georgeweinstein.com. That's W-E-I-N-S-T-E-I-N-E-I-E, -E -E -E, just like old McDonald. Uh, so you can uh, find all my books on my website. Uh, you can find me on social media on uh, Facebook, uh, Instagram, uh, occasionally on TikTok, uh, dipping my toe in the book talk waters. Mm. I love it. Fern, I love it. Fern, what about you? I just got to say, this is such a cool um, origin of a book story. I, I'm always fascinated by where does the genesis of the idea come from. And I love that you're capturing the history of a people that, you know, if we don't, if we don't get it down, uh, it's going to be lost. Yeah. So I, I just applaud you for that. And I look forward to reading your book. Thank you very much. Yes. Well, George, thank you so much for taking time out of your day and your Monday and your Halloween to come and hang out with us and talk about your books and your latest book that has come out. We're excited to have you back. We were all super excited about this conversation. So it is wonderful. Thank you so much. You're welcome back anytime. But you guys, we hope everybody has a fantastic Halloween. Be safe out there. But we will. We have a ton of author talk shorts coming because the 12 Days of Page Owners author talks start this week so make sure that you tune in for those but until next time you guys we'll catch you all next monday bye yeah. for now everybody happy halloween hold on my cat's on my thing ah. hold on okay <laughs> okay really bye everybody <laughs>